You're listening to Beauty and Impact, the show that gets valuable insights from changemakers disrupting the norms of beauty, wellness, and sustainability. We tackle topics like the impacts of beauty ingredients on our health and the environment, where people of color fit into the clean beauty conversation, sustainable beauty solutions, and so much more. We're your hosts and sisters, environmental activist Ashley Renee Nsanwu and clinical skincare industry insider Jasmine Hill, here to spill all the green tea on beauty and sustainability. Let's go. Hey, hope you're having a beautiful day. Welcome back to the Beauty and Impact Podcast. So today we get to chat with the unstoppable duo behind popular beauty brand, Bybee. These are two women who I can confidently say are thought leaders and innovators in this industry, especially in the UK where they are based. We're going to get into what it means to be carbon negative, how brands can tackle sustainability beyond just their packaging, how you who's listening to this right now can create your own impact by voting with your dollars, and honestly, Honestly, we just unpack a lot. But before we get into all of that, let's just kick things off by spilling the green tea on the latest headlines in beauty and sustainability news. So for sustainability news, Jasmine recently attended LuxPack, a major industry trade show, and came back with all the tea on sustainable packaging options. Isn't that right, Jazz? Yeah. So here are the top three sustainable packaging trends we see going mainstream based on what Jazz saw at that trade show. So first up is beauty packaging made out of PCR, which is a huge one that we probably talk about the importance of in just about every episode. So PCR stands for post-consumer recycled, which is a packaging material that derives from the recyclable you toss into your curbside recycle bin and it gets a new life as recycled packaging. The second trend we saw is monomaterial packaging, which is easier to recycle because it's made up of just one type of material, hence mono. Mono means one. Um, versus products that are made up of mixed materials, which is a lot harder to recycle. Lastly is refillable packaging, which we are all about. So I have a prediction. That refillable beauty is about to blow up. What do you think, Jazz? Yeah, I mean, definitely while I was at um, LuxPack compared to 2020 LuxPack in February, there was a lot more refillable choices. Um, the fillable choices that were there were also more cost obtainable as a brand. Um, they looked better, you know. Target, in fact, I think they have a new initiative. It's called Target Zero. And so basically, Target is trying to carry more sustainable products. And then it's basically showing the momentum right now behind some of the refillable beauty. Yeah. And, you know, so for those of you who are listening to this right now, I kind of want to know, like, what do you think about refillable packaging going mainstream? And I'm really curious because for those of you who don't know, we're in the middle of building our own brand. It's going to be coming out soon and we're so excited about it. But we'd really love to get your feedback on these trends as we're building this. Um, We really want you guys to be a part of the process. So we have this private group where we're sharing behind the scenes of building our brand and getting opinions from our community. If you'd like to join, which please, I hope you would, send us a DM on Beauty and Impact and we'll add you to the group. So anyway, with that said, let's move on to Jasmine's news in the beauty space. What you got going on, sis? I'm talking a little bit about high versus low retail going on right now. And that seems to also be a major trend. So, you know, if you didn't know, the lines are really starting to blur between like mass and prestige in how you are distributing the retail. So these are usually called like retail channels, right? So first up last year, we had Sephora launching inside of JCPenney's and then Target. Target was launching Alta Beauty Shop and shops. And all of these partnerships seem to have been going really well because, you know, three weeks ago, Kohl's announced that they were going to do 400 more of these inside of their shops. Target announced they were going to do 250 more Altas inside of their shops. And as of today, Walmart just announced they were doing space in K inside of Walmart. Now, you know, I think this is really great for Space and K. I'm not sure exactly how many people are familiar with it um, as a brand, but it's great because um, Space and K is a retail store that has a lot of different prestige beauty products. And these prestige beauty products are now going to be found inside of Walmart. So 
this goes a little back and forth between what you know people in beauty may want to say about this trend though right so old heads in the beauty world probably caution prestige brands that they risk diluting their own brand value with association with walmart but i totally disagree so i think the lines of high and low are so blurred these days that it's actually exciting to see an evolution of beauty distribution in a direction that is favoring the everyday consumer. So the real question I want to know is what beauty consumers want, right? So personally, I can't wait to get a look at what's going to be in Walmart's new selection while I'm grabbing stuff to make slime for the kids, because as a parent, we all kind of know Walmart is the destination for slime. And if anything, you know, I like how Target is making it easier for me to go ahead and get all these DTC brands that I've seen, but not necessarily wanting to go to all these individual websites to pick up and get ordered to me. So this move and direction that these retailers are going in sound like a pretty much like a win-win for me. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I actually think that's cool. The easier it is for people to access, you know, products, the better. So I'm all forward. I'm with you. So speaking of products, what have you found that you've been crushing on lately? Well, you know, we keep talking about refillable, refillable. And I, like I said, I really think this is about to like blow up. And there actually is this one brand that I want to highlight. I found out about it when I attended the largest zero waste sporting event in North America. It was um, WM Phoenix Open. If there are any golf fans listening, then you know what that is. I did not know. (laughs) Yeah, I I didn't know either. Like, I'm not a golf fan. But I went to this event and I met up with Valeria, um, aka Water Through Skin on Instagram. If you know her, she's huge. She's an eco goddess, just amazing. And she introduced me to a brand called Izzy. And they have a zero waste mascara. And I'm getting ready to run out of the current mascara that I'm using. And I'm really trying to, as I, you know, start finishing up like my products. I want to um, replace them with refillables. So I think I'm going to give Izzy a try and it's pretty cool. So the way it works is, you know, your mascara comes in a zero waste reusable shipper with no outer packaging and approximately 90 days after your purchase, they email you a reminder to send your empty Izzy back in your reusable shipper and then you receive a sterilized and refilled mascara every 90 days, which is pretty dope. So I'm really getting into the whole refillable beauty scene. What about you? What did you find? So, you know, kind of going back on refillable beauty, I've got pros and cons of it, right? So I have a um, refillable brand I love called Ma Beauty. So my con right now is I had a red lipstick from them that I got, but I lost the red lipstick. It went into the deep abyss of who knows where. And so now, you know, instead of just buying the refill, I'm buying the whole thing all over again, right? And then the palettes, the palettes are really cool because you can actually pick and choose whatever you want, right? To make your own palette. So you can pick from different colors from your your eyes. You can do, I think it's like cheek and then maybe like bronzer. And so I put together my own palette, which was all just colors that I actually wanted to use every day, which is so different because usually, you know, you go in and get these palettes that people put together and you're like, okay, well, I'm using these three colors all the time. And then the 60% of it, I'm probably never going to touch. So Mm -hmm. that felt, you know, like I was going to actually use up everything I bought, which was a good move. But, you know, the downside sometimes also with something like this is, even though it's a refill and you're trying to do better for the world, if you buy a color and it doesn't maybe look as good in person because you're only shopping it online, you know, you're still being wasteful. But on that note, I did sign up for their text alerts. And today they said that they are going to be available in Credo. So, you know, boo for you because you can't go and walk in and see it. But I'm in LA. I don't have a Credo in Atlanta. Yeah, I do want to go in and check out some of their other colors that I was a little bit hesitant on doing an online purchase for um, and checking to see if there's like some other things I want to do for my next palette move because I've been using this one now for a couple months. So I do have two of my colors that are already, you know, <laughs> worn out. So I want to replace it and then maybe get a second palette with a couple more things to try out. 
Dope. Okay. So we went through beauty and news headlines. We went over a couple of our favorite product recommendations for the week. And now it's actually time to get into the main event. So we are going to move on to our guests for today who are killing it in the sustainable beauty space. Woo! Our guests today are Elsie Rutherford and Dominika Minerovic, the co-founders of Bybee, a pro-planet natural vegan beauty brand. They are committed to producing skincare with the lowest possible environmental footprint, utilizing low carbon production processes across their entire supply chain. Elsie and Dominica are published authors, trained skincare formulators, podcasters, and entrepreneurs who are paving the way for more climate conscious practices, from ingredients to production and packaging. Now, their biggest achievement today is creating the world's first carbon negative skincare product. It's called Glow Current Booster. It's a brightening facial oil that captures more carbon than it emits. It is a game changer. So without further ado, let's dive right in. Here we go. Elsie and Dominica, thank you for joining us today on Beauty and Impact. We've been wanting to chat with you for quite some time. I actually, you know, chatted with you before and we we talked a lot about, you know, our passions about sustainability and the beauty space. And now you're actually here on the podcast. So we're really excited to be able to introduce you to our listeners if they don't already know about you, which I would be really surprised if they don't because you guys are just so awesome. Um, for those of you who don't, you know, this is a clean, vegan, sustainable skincare care line. And, you know, those qualities are very important to Jazz and I. So, you know, naturally, we just wanted to have you on here so you could share your insights with our listeners. And the big news is that you recently launched the world's first carbon negative skincare product. Like, what does, that even mean? <laughs> what does that even mean exactly? What that? Yeah, no, that is a good question. That is the question that most people would go to next. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, what does that mean? <laughs> well, I think it's important to just address the fact that, you know, obviously saying something is a world first is an absolutely huge claim. Um, yes. So it's important to put a bit of a definition around what carbon negative actually means to us, because there are other brands claiming it, but we have achieved something that is truly unique, we believe, to the yeah. industry and, and actually to consumer products. So essentially, we have built a supply chain for a skincare product. So it's a it's a brightening booster to add to our booster range, um, which is essentially like a facial oil that you can mix in and out of your existing skincare products. And we built the supply chain for it in such a way that it absorbs more carbon than it releases um so wow. it is a truly carbon negative in that the emissions for that product are negative um truly carbon negative product as i said there are brands and um, exploring carbon negativity in other ways but that will mainly rely on carbon offsetting so they will produce a product as normal and then they will work with a carbon offsetting partner whereby you pay them money in exchange for carbon credits and then you basically like you double buy, you double offset, you double buy the credits so that it takes you into technically into negativity. We have actually, instead of relying on somebody else to do that bit for us, we have essentially taken it all in house to, to build um, those sort of like you call it insetting rather than offsetting processes within our own supply chain. So it, it is truly carbon negative in that the emissions have all been audited and they're actually carbon negative rather than it having to rely on purchasing offsetting credits. We've got a bit of a problem with carbon offsets. I will just like put that out there now. We've done it in the past. It is fantastic that it's raising awareness about um, for brands and their carbon footprint, but it sets a bit of a business as usual precedent where it says you keep you keep doing what you're doing and just offset at the end rather than actually saying, hang on a second, you know, where are we leaking carbon throughout our supply chain? How can we reduce that actually and properly rather than going and planting a few trees and, and hoping that that will balance the scales? It, you know, it basically, you pull the plug on the bath, but the taps are still running. Um, so that's mm. our kind of issue. So when we set out to do this, we didn't want to rely on purchasing any carbon credits. And I, I am slightly amazed, but incredibly immensely proud to say that we didn't need to, which is just, it's bonkers. It wasn't an easy journey. I'm sure we will go into it in more detail. But yes, that is our big news, our carbon negative product. Exciting stuff. <laughs> 
this, this is so exciting. I just, I love the whole concept behind it because you're right. So many brands are claiming to be, you know, carbon negative, but they're doing it through carbon offsets, which like you pretty much pointed out, that's really just putting a bandaid on the situation because what you're basically saying, like you said, it's a business as usual concept. Like, oh, it's okay. We're going to keep putting, uh, you know, carbon out there, but we'll just make up for it by like investing in other things. But you, what you guys have done is what you're saying from what I'm understanding is you've created a way to like pull carbon out of the atmosphere or like, I guess with your supply chain, right? Like you're pulling carbon out of the atmosphere so that you're actually doing more good than harm versus just reducing the harm. Yes, absolutely. That is the mission and the endeavor that we were trying to achieve. I guess that the point that is worth flagging is that we are still a skincare brand. We're still creating products and we're still encouraging people to buy products. So we're by no means sitting here claiming that we have solved the climate crisis and that everyone can continue on their consumerism and we are now absolved of all of our sins. I think that we are much more realistic um, in our approach. I think, Mm -hmm. you know, obviously we're really passionate about sustainability, but are still cognizant of the fact that we're a consumer brand. And those two things have quite a lot of tension, right? as I've just said. So for us, it was really about could we drive innovation? We know all these things are starting to come to market and become really available to brands. Can we actually put that as our primary goal behind a product and see what we can achieve? But at the end of the day, we are still creating a product and, you know, that product will likely end up in landfill um, as much as we, you know, encourage other ways of of afterlife. It's still going to be shipped around the world and people are still going to have a carbon footprint associated with its usage. So again, we're not in saying that buying this product absolves you of all of your sins and, you know, don't worry, the earth is saved because you're buying glow current from Bybee. Absolutely not. All we're saying is that if you put your mind and your heart and your commercial, you know, motivations behind creating something, you can actually create something that has a better impact than what we're currently doing. So I think that's the overarching message that we want to share around this product and we want to be really transparent with how we did it so other brands can really be inspired to say, actually, you know, perhaps we're not going to shoot for carbon negativity, but actually just switching a couple of elements of our supply chain will dramatically lower our carbon footprint. And actually we have to buy less offsetting credits because we've been able to make small changes across our supply chain that have dramatically reduced the amount of carbon that we're emitting. And that's really our goal, I think. Again, you know, we still have a 20 SKU range that we sell that is not carbon negative. And obviously we're making huge changes across the business from our learnings from Glow Current Booster, but it's really just our stake in the ground to say, look, things can be done better and Mm -hmm. we are going to continue to innovate and pioneer because we believe that you can be a consumer brand and do things better. That's awesome. And hopefully it'll trickle trickle down into uh, the way other brands are doing it. So that's great. Like you said, you're you're pretty much paving the path for other brands to follow. So that's cool. Yeah, we say carbon copy. We say carbon copy us. Carbon copy. Yes, carbon copy. I love it. We encourage you, right? Like hopefully what we've built is a is a framework that can be replicated and not just in the beauty industry, like, you know, far and beyond. Like consumer products like can learn a lot from the framework that we've kind of figured out you know, how to build. And if we can inspire other brands to do the same or even be thinking about the same, then we're doing something, you know, we're playing our part in helping to not solve the climate crisis, obviously, but, you know, as a brand, we're using our voice um, and our platform to help drive change. And that's the most important thing. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Because I think, you know, what we're going to see as these years kind of come on is, you know, like brands like you all are really going to be the ones that are kind of like leading that charge right now, right? Because the larger corporations, you know, it's taking them a lot longer just because they have like this really big, wide supply chain, things like that. But, you know, as other brands are able to kind of solve this quicker, you know, you're going to have like the L'Oreal's and the Estee Lauder's and things like that, like looking to brands like you all, like, okay, as we're trying to fix like our massive supply chain that's going all around the world, you know, these are like some of the ground rules that, you know, we see are working. And then hopefully again, you know, we need as many companies as possible to kind of follow in this footsteps to kind of dig us out of this 
issue that we're in right now, right? But, you know, as far as Bybeek as a company, you know, you all were established as a natural evolution of Clean Beauty Insiders, right? And it was the UK's largest dedicated natural beauty platform. Um, You guys had a book, it was this whole community, and then came the beauty products, right? So I will say, you know, I probably first heard about the products when it was the dry powder mixing mask. And I remember thinking, oh, this is so cool. I can kind of like DIY it myself. I want to say maybe the boosters were available back then, but it was my very first trip to Credo in Los Angeles. And that's where I first heard about you all. So you all were really talking about clean, you know, and clean beauty back before it was really starting to be a buzzword that I kind of like tapped into. And, you know, so very original origins, right, within the London community as well. So would you feel like you helped pioneer the mainstream clean beauty space in the UK? I mean, look, obviously we'd like to say yes, we do. do. (laughs) Probably not quite to the degree that somebody like Gwyneth in the US can say that she sort of led or coined that clean beauty term. The market's much smaller here. Also, the UK is a little bit further behind the US when it comes to the sort of wellness scene, you know, that hit us a couple of years after it did you guys. So it you know, for a long time, the clean natural space, um, certainly within beauty and skincare was incredibly dusty. The only places that you could really go to get more conscious beauty were your sort of local health food store, or the occasional odd, like very, very um, exclusive lifestyle um, store that you might find on like, you know, in South Ken or something, which if you were going to go and purchase, you know, a serum for a couple of hundred pounds, then fantastic. But if that was out of your price range, then, you know, tough luck. And that was really what motivated us to start Clean Beauty, like the product line, because we just felt that there was no accessibility when it came to the natural space. Um, Yeah, it was either just crunchy granola nuts and berries, which didn't speak to us at all, or it was incredibly expensive. So that was really... I think just the the scene at the UK in the time, yeah, was really what drove us. But yeah, you know, look, I think it's come a long way and there are some fantastic, there's some big names in on the scene now and there are some, you know, people doing some amazing things. But I think what we brought to to clean beauty that was perhaps a little bit different um, in the UK was just a bit of fun. <laughs> like we weren't, like we were super like, and you can see that with our products, that like you see that yeah. personality come through. We were really... I mean, I sound like I'm tooting my own horn, but we were very down to earth people and quite honest. So when we were like starting Clean Beauty Insiders, we were, we'd always like share our mistakes as well as the the things that, you know, when we made a, a face mask and it went really wrong, when we were experimenting in the early days, we'd be like, guys, hilarious. Like we made this smells, this, this like face mask, but it smells disgusting. Like here's what we learned. You know, we weren't like, and we were also, you'd never catch us like, we're not preachy we're just like here's why we're doing it because we believe the skin benefits from natural ingredients is just are just transformational and we love it and we want to share that with everyone and I think that that sort of fresh approach was just very different to what was available in the UK at the time which which helped us carve a, a niche for ourselves we weren't trying to replicate or do what other brands or other sort of natural skincare personalities were already doing. We were coming in and doing things differently. And that meant that we were speaking to a different audience, a younger audience, an audience yeah. who was perhaps more traditionally mainstream in their beauty kind of preferences and, you know, were attracted or were open to listening to us because we kind of, we felt quite relatable. And I think, yeah, that that gave us a bit of an edge and just... Yeah, the scene needed a bit of a shake up here as well. So I like to think that we helped that. And we still, there's like a top 25 faces in natural skincare, like awards that runs every year. And we're in it without fail every year. And we don't even like put ourselves up for it. We just like, we're like, oh, we've got it again. (laughs) So I like to think that that shows that people are acknowledging that we definitely had a part to play in moving the scene forwards for sure. Yeah, that's really cool. Because I just remember like, you know, walking through for like that first experience in, you know, what was considered like a clean beauty store here in Los Angeles. Just like seeing that packaging, like I totally remember it. It was like, you know, like this beautiful pink. It had um, like gold foil on it. And I'm like, oh, this is like so fun and refreshing compared to 
you know, if I was like going into like the aisles of Whole Foods at the time, you know what I mean? It was yeah. fun, you know, and not yeah. resonating or knowing the brand, let's say like off, off Instagram or knowing the brand off of, you know, any other experience, you know, it was just great to be able to just even connect with it just on shelf and know, okay, this is somebody who's doing something a little bit different, a little bit unexpected and a little bit more fun than what I was actually seeing in the space at the time. So kudos to you guys. Thank Thank you. you. And that's very intentional. Like we went after, yeah, we tried to do that. Also just shout out to the product that you're talking about was Detox Dust. May she rest in peace. We discontinued her, but she, that product is fantastic. I've got tons of it still in my drawer because you don't get through through it very quickly. (laughs) But um, it was like a mix your own face mask that was just a bit ahead of its time. People didn't quite get it, did they? And it was was a real, like, it was upsetting to have to discontinue it, but (laughs) people weren't buying it. You were probably the only person that was. (laughs) Yeah, we launched that in 2017, and I feel like now I've definitely now seen it's more just starting to kind of face masks around. Yeah, yeah there are definitely like always been <laughs> now that are like powder based, you know, because yeah, everyone's trying to like come out with more like waterless beauty concepts and things yeah. like that. <laughs> just, we were all over it back in the day. But yeah, I think that's, that's sometimes what our uh, downfall is, is just being a little bit too innovative. Um, and sometimes yeah. you just have to be a bit obvious as well. Right. Yeah, that's, people are like, I just yeah. want to start with moisturizer. <laughs> right? That's, that's pros and cons to being a pioneer of anything, you yeah. know, when you're trying to put something out there that's ahead of its time. Like you're trying to show people like, hey, no, this is something that you should do. But people just aren't there yet. They're like, oh. Oh, but then it gets popular and you're like, we were trying to tell you back in the day. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. And with the boosters as well, like when we launched boosters, people were like, well, what are boosters? Yeah. And now everyone, everyone has, has, you know, people just get it. So, yeah. But obviously we're profiting, you know, we're profiting now off people understanding that concept and us having a range that is, you know, already successful within that category. So, um, yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. It's a challenge, but you know, I, I appreciate the fact that you guys actually arise to that challenge because not everybody, not every brand would be willing to do that. You know, they'll go for like the easy product that they know that people will go for. That's familiar, but I like that you're actually you do things to try and like change, yeah. uh, change the game, and introduce um, you know new things to to customers that they might not be used to, but are actually good for them. So yeah. kudos I to think- y'all. I think we I think in the in this day and age of like consumerism and you know the ease of of actually launching a product based business and and being able to be an entrepreneur I think innovation and creativity have kind of been forgotten and people mm-hmm. just try a, to make a quick buck and kind of like ride off trend waves and I think you know, while we not may not be the biggest brand in the world, I think we have always wholeheartedly prided ourselves on not being a copycat and actually really thinking about how we can innovate and how we can drive things forward. And we haven't always got it right. All the products that we've launched, as we've discussed, haven't always been like number one bestsellers, but no one can ever accuse us of copying them or or yeah, not driving innovation. And we will always continue to do that regardless of what the numbers are, because I think we can't lose innovation. And I think in consumer products, a lot of it is being lost because people, yeah, yeah, they just see, oh, wow, that's working really well. That's a massive market. Let me just, let me just write off the coattails of that. And again, you know, that, that nods back to our product blow current, you know, we're, we're driving something quite new and quite unique there. We're not just, riding off the coattails of of other brands that are carbon negative by offsetting we're actually saying we're going to do things differently and you know there's always challenges being first um but we're used to it by now (laughs) (laughs) that that's actually um, a good point and kind of drives me to my next question because when we first connected a while back you know we had a pretty illuminating conversation about sustainable beauty and you said something that really stuck out to me regarding the hyper focus on plastic packaging right so you know we're talking about how you try to take things a step further you don't try to be like everybody else and with all these brands just kind of taking the easy route and just tackling uh you know the plastic packaging aspect of sustainability you really kind of focus on the entire life cycle which i think is 
different. So can you kind of talk about like the intricacies of building a sustainable beauty brand that goes beyond packaging? Like what else should consumers be paying attention to in terms of the entire life cycle of a brand? I think for us, we we could see there were two glaringly massive parts to the way that you put together a beauty product that had a huge impact, a huge effect on the environmental impact that were just being ignored. Well, there are three parts in in total. One is packaging. So it's not wrong that we should think about the packaging of our beauty products. You know, there are these stats flying around about beauty being responsible for 120 billion, you know, pieces of product packaging produced a year. Like it's alarming. And Mm -hmm. the industry's reliance on fossil fuels to create, you know, a lot of that packaging in terms of it being plastic, standard plastic is alarming. And the fact that it often isn't recyclable is alarming. So we got it. We understood that. And we we did what we could to change that within our own supply chain. So we we use on the whole across most of the range now a a sugarcane bioplastic that's derived from sugarcane rather than fossil fuel. And that's that's played a massive role in how we've managed to achieve a carbon negative product because sugarcane is a hugely mm-hmm. it, uh, it's hugely absorbent of carbon. So that was one part, and that's it. That is important to us. You know, we we've, we're just using a sugarcane paper now, which is really exciting. You know, we've partnered with a startup here in London who make like a, a biomass kind of like plastic out of bacteria. Like, there's some amazing things going on in packaging, and we should be thinking about the afterlife. That is that is not right. um, not a question. But what we could see also was that there is much more to your beauty product that was just being completely ignored. And I think because the beauty supply chain is quite complex in that if you think about there's often what like at least five through to kind of upwards of 30 ingredients that make up each one of your beauty products you know, every one of those ingredients has its own supply chain. Um, and then there's a supply chain to put together that that product, including all of those ingredients. Like nobody's talking about that part. So we really recognize that ingredients just, you can't ignore the types of ingredients that are being used and where they're coming from. And then also nobody's talking about how these products are being produced, how they're being put together, the manufacturing part. And we really identified that those three parts of the supply chain, if we could help kind of improve the impact of all three, so including packaging, then actually overall as a brand, we'd have we'd lesser our impact rather than just focusing on packaging and saying, hey, we're recyclable, that makes us eco-friendly. But in actual fact, you know, we're using crops that are unrenewable for our ingredients and we're shipping them all over the world and we're running on brown energy when we're producing our, our you know, manufacturing our goods rather than green. So we kind of took it right back and, and decided to encompass manufacturing and the ingredients um, that make up our products as part of how we assess the impact of one Bybee product overall. So, and we've actually got an internal auditing system that we put together just really through sheer lack of anything like existing to help us really audit the impact of products as we formulate them rather than in a retrospective way. It's called the SUSTI score and it measures a ton of things. It's a, it's a traffic light system. Um, so it spits out um, a cumulative score for each product at the end that's either falls within green, amber or red and obviously everyone, everything in green. Um, and it looks at a load of different things, but within with our ingredients, it looks at things like the renewability of the plant. If it's a natural ingredient, obviously we're a natural brand. Like we don't want to be using some like rare plant that's literally, you know, only grows like you know, once every two years and actually is on, you know, the face of depletion if we over harvest it. Um, so, you know, looking at renewable plants, we look at how it's harvested, you know, how energy intensive is it actually to harvest and produce it? Does it need to be refined? Does that process in, include heat, which then, you know, is, is energy intensive? And then this is quite a big factor. We look at where it's produced and how it gets to the point of manufacture. Obviously, we're based in the UK. Uh, unfortunately our climate as I'm sure you know like isn't one that really like (laughs) we're not like a tropical climate where you we've got tons of really interesting and biodiverse you know um, nature growing you know you can pretty much get like (laughs) lavender (laughs) probably you know like that's that's about as exotic as it gets and I mean this is another point the beauty industry puts like a huge glamorizes exotic ingredients right which actually Shouldn't be the case. But anyway, we then think, okay, well, if we need to travel further afield for our ingredients, first of all, is there a skin benefit? Could we work with an ingredient that we can get closer to home that you can get the same benefit from? If we can't, then we look at things like how it travels to the source location, you know, 
air freight is an absolute no-go. Um, electric vehicle, however, is much better. You know, can it get here by electric vehicle? Um, so just that travel and the distance of travel and the, the mode of transport is really important to us as well. And then we also look at the supplier and um, if we're, you know, working further afield, do they have other things that they do with local communities, for example, um, that kind of make up that, you know, justify having to go further afield for an ingredient? And then for our manufacturing, obviously, we outsource everything to third party manufacturing um, because we don't have the facilities to be able to produce your beauty products at the scale that we need to. And that's that's a very standard practice. Most beauty brands will do that. But we petitioned at the beginning of last year um, for all of our factories to, to switch to green energy. And actually, they did. I, it was we kind of put together this pitch that was like, look, this is the future. Your customers will be asking you for it. It's not that difficult. And yeah, they were either in the process of um, doing it and really on board or we kind of like gave it a bit of a nudge. And yeah, happy to say that all of our um, factories now run on green energy as well. In fact, one went so far as to install solar panels and they now sell energy back to the grid, which is fantastic. So, you know, it's like, yeah. So so those are the three things that we look at when we're thinking about our environmental impact and packaging is important, but it shouldn't be where the conversation starts and ends. And we really think that brands um, should be looking at things with a more kind of 360 and holistic approach. Wow. So I think that's really interesting that you didn't just look for manufacturers who were already there. You actually pushed for change in the ones that you were using, which makes a big difference. That was really cool. And I think this like nods back to, so, you know, when we started our journey back in 2016, 2017, like we hadn't crystallized this mission of like, okay, we really want to be driving down our carbon emissions. You know, we didn't have that like thought process back then. All we knew was, okay, we're going to try and do things better. So at that point, Mm -hmm. we weren't necessarily choosing our partners based on their credentials. Mm -hmm. So we ended up with a, a great set of partners that we wanted to continue working with. So I think that, yeah, when thinking about making things more sustainable, actually not just defaulting to people that are already doing it and actually helping the transition of those that aren't is also a great strategy. And people often want to do better, right? No one would say to you, no, actually, (laughs) I'm fine with the way things are. Um, I'll just continue to do things in a you know, devastating for the planet manner. Like, I don't think anyone <laughs> would say that, but a lot of people don't have the understanding or the tools and actually just saying, and I'm, I don't know quite what it's like in the US, but in the UK, it's unbelievably easy to switch to renewable energy. Like, there are so many service providers. All you literally do is, like, go online and switch. And it it's not any more expensive. It's, you know, and with the right, you know, with someone that's open to that, it's yeah. literally so easy. It's just asking, just like you would ask for a better price. Yeah. Say, yeah, I'll work with you or I'll give you this project, but I would like you to be thinking about your waste management or like, can you make sure that when you get our raw materials that you recycle those containers or can yeah. you make sure you run on renewable energy? And most people are like, yeah, sure. I'll keep it's, that in you know, mind. Not- yeah. Yeah. Don't default oh. the cancel culture. Just like actually yeah. help, help them. <laughs> change their way yeah don't penalize people for not having the knowledge yes give them a chance to rectify and course correct yeah exactly and you you um you did like a life cycle analysis too to help you do all this right yeah I mean the whole process is is obviously quite complex as you can imagine because we're trying to make decisions at the product development stage and then almost like run a life cycle analysis in tandem with that, which is not normally the way things are done. Like a life cycle analysis is typically a retrospective analysis right. of what you've done. So it was really challenging because also the projects kept changing and evolving as we were doing the life cycle analysis. So there was a lot of movement within the results as we were unfolding. But obviously, we wanted to get a view on the results as we were making decisions in order to drive the emissions down. So it was quite an unusual process. And the partner that we worked with, like, we ended up having so much back and forth because we would get the results and we were like, actually, that's not where we want it to be. If we change this, we can then drive it down further. So it was it was quite an unusual process for this particular project. We then were at the same time doing life cycle analysis across the rest of the range, which we have the results for. And now we're working on our 2021 report, which will show, okay, what are our emissions as a business per product? And then really provide 
provide analysis around where the hotspots are and where we're making changes for 2022 in order to then continually drive that overall business footprint down. The way that we think about things, as Elsie mentioned, the SUSTI score, which is almost like the tool that we use at the product development stage. And then the lifecycle analysis, typically, apart from Glow Current, as I said, which was an anomaly, is the kind of end of year assessment. And then we use that, both of those kind of tools to then make changes to drive the emissions down. So the lifecycle analysis is is so important and it's incredibly complex, um, the amount of information that you need to gather for that. Um, and it's really important that you work with credible partners that know what they're doing and that take their accreditations and auditing like very seriously in order to make sure that the data is interrogated and you're not making um, loose claims around oh, stuff as well. Yeah. Would you find that, you know, because it's not something that I hear, you know, maybe communicated often from brands right now of doing a life cycle analysis, maybe just a few. Is that something that, you know, as a consumer, you know, if they're meeting your brand for the first time, is this something that you're like you're putting on your box, you're communicating it through your website, or is this more so just internal information that you all are doing and just kind of continually improving as like an internal measure? It's a bit of both. I think one thing that we've really struggled with is how to say all of this. You know, we've been talking yeah. to you for like half an hour and we're not even like we've only scratched the surface of <laughs> the processes that we go through and everything that we've yeah. done and you know it, it it's taken us some time to be able to understand how we articulate this to the end consumer of our product. So, you know, the information is there to some degree, but we're, we're doing everything at such depth that actually it's just not even possible to be able to like say every single thing that we're doing. We So we try to bit, pick out the bits that we feel are relevant and that consumers will find interesting. And as Dominica says, a lot of this stuff changes really quickly as well. So like we're like making live decisions and, you know, adjusting things here and tweaking things here and there. And um, often you kind of can't keep those updated, particularly not if you're looking at like how we communicate on pack, for example, like, you know, when it's printed, it's printed and it's there until it sells out. So we kind of give the information as much as we can and we'll have varying um, levels of information depending on when, where and how you engage with the brand. So our website is fairly in depth. We also go into as much detail as we think is relevant on social as well. And then, you know, when you come and listen to us on a podcast, like we'll tend to go into things, you know, if, if you engage with us as founders, you'll probably find that there's more information that we'll share. Less so on pack. You'll see with this, um, I hope, you know, we'll get some into your hands as soon as possible. But with this product, we've changed things slightly. The pack is a bit different. Um, it looks a oh. bit different. We're trying to kind of like visually cue environmentally friendly in terms of like the colors that we've tried chosen to work with just so that people kind of see it before they read it if that makes sense because as you pointed out earlier our range doesn't look sustainable or natural even which was the intention but um that, that's the fun part for me like it's like okay I'm, I'm not getting boring but I'm doing better you know yeah yeah but you know what you're already like part of the way there because you're that kind of thing interests you and you know that's one of the one of the things that you will consider before you purchase something whereas somebody who perhaps isn't thinking about that might be put off even if they think it looks too mm. like natural looking so but, but what we wanted to do was make it a bit more obvious with this product. So, you know, we've gone harder with the messaging and tried to articulate it in a few words and with kind of symbols. But I think the other thing is that the customer, and this is still what we grapple with, is understanding which of our end consumers want which bits of the information. Like does, so we're stocked with Target, for example, like does yeah. the kind of average person walking into Target looking for skincare, like how concerned are they about the environmental impact and the carbon footprint of the product they're buying versus maybe somebody who's walking into Credo? You know, that that customer profile is going to be a little bit different. And, you know, how do we then talk to those different consumers in different ways and I think that's you know we still we're still trying to get that bit right we we kind of don't know how much you want to know as our as our consumer like <laughs> 
So we don't want to tell you all of it because we don't want to like blah, 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 go like this. And then for you to think, well, they're doing a lot with sustainability, but their products aren't going to work because they haven't told me, you know, how the skincare product works. Like you have, you know, the, the product performance is, is like first and foremost what people want to hear about. So it's a very like, yeah, it's a, it's a fine line and it's quite a delicate balance of deciding how much you say and at what point you say it. And I think it will continue to change as general awareness of some of these issues raises and people become more concerned about it but it's not the same in in every environment I think it just yeah depends on where the consumer is in their journey of conscious shopping there's definitely been an increase in consumers searching for you know sustainable products Mm -hmm. um but see what I like about you guys is you know as you're putting these sustainable products out there you're not just talking the talk but you're also walking the walk but then there are other brands who might not be, right? So they might have just pretty much swooped in to kind of take advantage by greenwashing their messages in hopes of sounding more sustainable than they really are. And for anyone who's listening who doesn't know what greenwashing is, it's basically a term used to describe when brands kind of use like deceptive eco buzzwords to deceive consumers into believing their products are more like environmentally friendly than they really are. So since you all have like experience in this and, you know, you're, you're actually trying to make the product, um, you know, appeal to customers who might be looking for like a sustainable product, but you're actually are sustainable. You're not just using, you know, greenwashing. You're not just using buzzword like terms. Um, like how can consumers like kind of differentiate between the ones who are like doing it correctly and those who are just greenwashing? Like what are the tell- telltale signs of greenwashing that they should be avoiding? Oh, that's such a such a difficult question because <laughs> I think the issue, the main overriding issue is that there's no clear definition of terms. So everyone is throwing around terms. And I mean, you know, to, a, to an extent, we're guilty of that, right? We're now introducing a new term, which is carbon negative. And people might just be like, this is another sustainability term that I haven't heard before. What does it mean? And I think it's just really difficult for a consumer to discern the fact from the fiction. And my advice or what I do as a consumer is, you know, you do have to delve deeper. If you see on the surface that a brand is making a claim, you do need to go to their website and you need to read and really try and understand what they're doing and what they mean by that term that they're they're plastering all over their packaging because often when you then dig for the detail you either can't find it which is a hundred percent the biggest red flag if there's no clear explanation of what they're doing or how they're doing it that is a strong indicator or if if it just then when you dig a bit deeper it turns out that that claim is is quite loose so that's what I do as a as a consumer you know the website is always primary destination to delve deeper um, or also ask questions on social. Like I do that quite a lot when I see brands make claims that I feel like are questionable. I will just write in the comments like, hey, what do you mean by this? Or when you say that you're doing this, what are you actually doing? And it's super interesting to see (laughs) the responses. And sometimes you don't get a response. And I think that's also really (laughs) telling. You know, you get left on scene in the DMs or, you, yeah, there's tumbleweeds when you ask the question because sometimes the, you know, the person answering the comments, whatever, doesn't have right. that information. And then that's also, you know, if they haven't been properly trained, it's because there's probably nothing to be trained on. So I think really being quite inquisitive, if there's something that you feel super passionate about, I think you you do have to do that extra bit of research because you can no longer take what any brand says at face value because there's just absolutely no regulation around it and everyone is making up terms <laughs> at least with things like organic natural to a certain extent there's some ring fence around that you know clean then becomes murkier but what's much more murky for me than clean is is green <laughs> yeah <laughs> and under green you've got this huge plethora of just like all these terms climate positive carbon this carbon that you know net zero then you've got yeah plastic free but i mean oh there's just you know there's eco-friendly eco-conscious pro-planet environmentally (laughs) sustainable sustainable i mean what does all that stuff mean it means nothing right 
Yeah. I mean, I I will say like as a consumer, depending on the category, you know, I fall for it sometimes too, because I I do like to have like a quick signal, you know, like if I'm, I'm shopping with my daughter and she's like, I need popsicles and we're in the aisle. And I'm like, I don't know these brands. And she's looking at one versus the other. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, I'm not going to go with the SpongeBob character, but maybe this one that says, you know, (laughs) you know, no fruit juice and sugar-free. I'm kind of like with, right? So like there's, there's definitely like these certain signals, but you know, I, I definitely just agree. What I try to do is dig in as much as I can, you know, if I'm kind of like Googling in the aisle sometimes, and then sometimes I'm just guilty, like, okay, I've got to get in and out and, you know, figure it out as I go a little bit more. But, you know, one thing about, you know, you all based in the UK, which I think is like really cool is, you know, wanting to talk a little bit more about the differences between the UK and the US for any of our American listeners who may not know how strict um, European standards are when developing a product. I know I didn't realize it until maybe a couple of years ago. And there was a brand in the United States when I went to like a create and cultivate event. And, you know, they were talking about how many um, ingredients were banned um, in the UK versus here. And, you know, they had kind of like blew my mind a little bit because I had never realized that before or even just like thought to think about it. Can you talk a little bit about how Europe has banned a significantly greater amount of ingredients than the United States has? Yeah, I can. I think this, though, raises something else that we're really passionate about, which is, but I think it's because we're based where we are and the regulations are what they are, that we've had the luxury to be able to think more about this. But I think one of the really key differences between our market here and in the US, when you're looking at the kind of clean beauty scene, is that my understanding of the US market, because of the question mark about the yeah. regulations and ingredients that are and aren't allowed in within formulation for some people that that threw up a question mark around the safety of a lot of ingredients that were being used there's a question mark over the legitimacy of some of the claims about ingredients being safe or unsafe um, and I don't really like you know I'm not probably not trained enough to comment on it but I think what it meant was that a lot of clean brands starting in the US had a real focus on um, safety and what isn't in our products because there was education kind of flying around for the consumer about ingredients that they really should avoid. Um, And I think, you know, that there are brands that have done really well out of that. Um, Unfortunately, I think what that has also kind of sparked is brands profiting a little bit off of kind of the scaremongering and um, perhaps like going a bit too hard on the like, you know, these are the like no, no list, the absolutely horrible ingredients like you always avoid. And, you know, in some instances, they are 100% justified, but in others, I don't think they are. And, And I think that kind of like fear, playing off that fear is often used as a commercial tactic, which like is a bit sad. In the UK, I think things are slightly different on the natural and clean scene because we do have slightly different regulations. So there hasn't been as much, as many questions over the safety of the ingredients that we use here. But I think what that's really helped us to do is cultivate a brand that focuses on what is in our products rather than what isn't. And it's given us the space because we don't feel that we have to justify any safety and we don't have to say, don't worry, guys, we haven't got these ingredients in because actually we aren't able to formulate with those ingredients. Um, Mm -hmm. It just gives us the freedom to be able to talk in a more positive light. And I think that was something that we felt really passionately about. Like we really wanted people to, we invest so much in our ingredients. Like honestly, they are the most important part of our product from, and we've, we've not really spoken much about how how our products work for the skin, but like we're so focused on creating Obviously, products with environmental impact based on everything that we've said or with a low environmental impact, but um, also products that are great for your skin and that are going to make your skin feel really healthy and look really glowing and just make you feel really confident and, you know, positive. And um, we put a lot into that. We formulate everything in house. And for us, we really wanted the customer to know how much emphasis we put on the amazing ingredients that are in our products. And also we don't take this kind of simplicity approach that a lot of natural brands do. We're like, you know, a lot of natural brands went down the route of like, you know, no more than five ingredients, blah, blah, blah. 
we're basically like chuck it all in like we want we want all of it we want the antioxidants we want the vitamins we want as many vitamins as we can like what is going to get our skin healthy and strong and really you know build up the integrity of the skin barrier and lead to less kind of like damage further down the line like we'll throw it all in minerals like yeah just so <laughs> for us and we and we love that part of our job so we wanted to make sure that we can really talk about all of the ingredients that are in and that just by default just gives us less space to talk about what's not included but I think then also gives us yeah just a, a bit more of a like positive angle rather than going down the like here's what we don't include but I think that that is because we formulate within to, to EU regulations. I think it's just slightly different. We're we're off on we're off on different footing than formulating within the US. Um, because also what's kind of like happened further down the line is there's been a bit of a backlash on the clean beauty industry for for talking about toxic you know toxins and um, for kind of bashing right. synthetics a bit. Which you know not all of it. And I'll be clear when I say I use a mix of natural and synthetic ingredients like not within Bybee products, but within the products that I have on my bathroom shelf, because I don't believe that synthetic ingredients are bad. I, and I think that the narrative around that is incorrect. But we've chosen to to create natural products with natural ingredients, because we believe that you can get great skin health from really like juicy, rich, like natural ingredients. And that's the path that we've chosen to go down with with Bybee. But I think those are the key differences. I think it's a difference in messaging. It's being able to talk about what is in your products rather than what isn't. And ultimately, we hope that that will make our end consumer feel like much more empowered and positive about what they're putting on their skin with Bybee. Yeah, it feels like you're able to kind of just focus more on the results driven quality of the actual product, you know, versus I feel like sometimes like American brands here, because we don't necessarily have these strict really regulations and there is a little bit of a battle of like but in the UK they do it this way you know have to kind of fight through the noise a little bit more because there is you know almost like retail battles right because like one store chain's you know definition of clean is like completely different from another yeah. store chain's completely you know definition of clean so like as a consumer yeah. the consumers are like wait i'm so confused if it's found at one store versus the other you know what does that mean for me because it's not regulated so you really kind of almost have to go directly to the brand and understand like okay is their philosophy in line with mine or do you just bypass it all because you're like i'm busy so just hope you do <laughs> yeah. well you know? yeah exactly it's <laughs> very similar the to the greenwashing point yeah yeah but also the problem with all of these retailers is that they have their clean section but then they continue to retail other brands so I, right. I feel like that is a little bit again that's re really confusing for the consumers like these are clean and what are those dirty but you're you're still selling them and you're still wholesaling them so mm -hmm. I think there's just a lot of of confusion and I think like you know retailers like credo and the detox market at least they have like within themselves a very clear definition and therefore everything within that store but I think it becomes very murky and hypocritical when you've then got a Sephora who have their clean at Sephora and the whole section there but then they're still you know it just doesn't make a lot of sense does it Right. So you're saying, oh, hey, here are the products that you can buy that are good and healthy for you. But then we still have all these other products that aren't. <laughs> yeah. Is that what you're saying? You know, it's like it's yeah. very confusing to the customer because that's what's going through my mind. So like, should I only be shopping from this section and not from the rest of the store? Yeah, I can see yeah. how that would be very confusing, especially to people who aren't really in this space like that. And they're just going into the store to, to get a product. And, you know, they might not be beauty junkies or they might not be in the skincare space. They, they just want something like right there in the moment. Um, and, and they don't know. But then they see those signs and the delineation between good and bad, you know, with there being clean products and then the rest just aren't. It's very confusing to someone who doesn't understand. Lastly, I just want to talk to you about why consumers should be supporting sustainable beauty brands. I kind of want to pose this question to you, like, can voting with your dollars actually make a difference for the planet? Yes, it can. I think like there are a couple of points to it and it, it's easy to feel like as an individual, you don't have a voice, but you really do. By 
buying something like Bybee over something that hasn't got a focus on environmentalism, you are doing two things. You are one, proving that there is a demand, which in turn will push the bigger brands out there that aren't necessarily thinking about this to look at their supply chain and make significant changes because they can see that there is a consumer demand. Um, and they often won't make changes until they know that there's a commercial benefit to it, which is, you know, we're in a capitalist world. That's just how it works. Um, but two, you will help us um, grow uh, and also just help us to, um, I guess, prove that the demand is there, which in turn will help, like has a knock on effect across the whole supply chain. So what we'll see is with a, a growth in interest in um, more environmentally friendly products, we will then see innovation continue to really thrive with the packaging materials that are available, the types of ingredients that are available. We'll see more factories turn to green energy. So it will have like a, a domino effect um, across the whole supply chain, which will, yeah, just have a better overall impact on the environment. And it will make it easier for us to continue to deliver um, more thoughtful and conscious products at a great price point because there'll be more available you know there'll be more supply um simply because the demand is higher so like you're voting with your with your dollar right in into a brand that is thinking about all of this stuff will absolutely have like a knock-on effect further down the line so you you can you do have the power to help to change things even if it feels like it's a tiny little thing that you're doing love it so guys, I just have to say, I have so enjoyed this conversation. You know, I'm so just happy to see more brands like yours, you know, in places like Target, places that are just like very accessible for like the everyday person to just get more exposure to these kind of like better for you brands that are really thinking not only just about our skin health, but also thinking about the health of our planet. So I really want everyone who is listening today to know exactly where they can go to find Bybee online. Um, where can they go on social media? I know that you guys have your own, you know, like um, account together, like let us know all the things that so we can just get online and get all absorbed into the Bybee world. Oh my God, have you got a pen? <laughs> We've got so many platforms. No, I will keep it very streamlined. But basically, bybee.com um, is your best destination for obviously products, a lot of information about our sustainability mission. We're also available at Target um, for our US customers. So obviously Target offer convenience for many of yes. you um, and we're big fans and you know hugely value the partnership with Target. Um, so we are available nationwide at Target online and in-store and then on social if you just google bybee or put bybee into the search bar you'll get our many accounts including bybee vc and bybee founders which is us but yeah we really uh, value all the support we're still a super small brand in the grand scheme of things still got many more years to prove out and to grow and and to make our impact so everything that you guys do to support us really does make a huge difference. And thank you both to Ashley and Jasmine for having us on the podcast, which also goes such a long way in raising the brand awareness around what we're doing um, and our mission as well. We love it. Thank you, guys. Yeah, great chatting with y'all, as thank always. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. Bye. All right. Thank you for tuning into Beauty and Impact today. If you got any gems from this episode, please subscribe to us wherever you're listening and show us some love by writing a review. It helps other beauties looking to make an impact just like you find the show so they can listen too. And while you're waiting for the next episode to drop, just go ahead and hit us up on Instagram at Beauty and Impact. We'd love to hear from you. All right. That's it. We'll catch you in the next episode with more green tea on beauty and sustainability.